electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC, Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Morgan Brennan with Scott Wapner and Mike Santoli live from Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. Carl, Jim, David, they all have the morning off. We're taking a look at futures right now, which are poised to open. Major averages poised to open higher with the Dow up 159 points. S&P poised to open up 26, 27 points. And the NASDAQ, the outperformer, at least pre-market, poised to open up 123 points, of course, that coming after another rough day for the markets, particularly the Nasdaq, particularly the tech stocks uh, with yields this morning taking a breather as well. Our roadmap starts with Tesla snapping a seven-day losing streak as Musk tells his employees to ignore the stock's volatility. Plus, Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon saying to expect job cuts as soon as January. And rising COVID concerns, the U.S. requiring airline passengers from China to test negative before their flights. A lot to get to, but we are going to begin with Tesla trying to build on yesterday's gains and a bounce back from a rough December. CEO Elon Musk sending an email to Tesla employees yesterday saying, quote, don't be too bothered by stock market craziness. And guys, we know it has been stock market craziness for this name. Uh, It's shed almost a third of its value, at least before yesterday in that rally we saw um, just in a week given the fact that you have not only all the technical stuff that's going on uh, within the broader market and where where this name is concerned and issues around valuation, but also some of the fundamental focus, too, with things like production and waning demand and higher interest rates and focus. Easy for Musk to say, right? Don't be bothered by the stock market craziness, though. He obviously has has seen um, better days in terms of how his own holdings have have fared, Uh, certainly sold a lot. Uh, Adam Jonas today, yeah. no, probably the best known uh, named analyst who, who follows this stock, defending it somewhat today, even though he cuts the price target, Mike, right. down to, what, 250 uh, from 330. He yeah. still says this derating has created an opportunity, so yes. he's still defending it. Absolutely defending it, saying that it's a broader EV issue for the first time he's expecting since the, uh, the COVID crisis next year. Supply is going to exceed demand for EVs globally. Uh, that's a tough situation for any company with this kind of valuation, although he says that, that Tesla's advantages, inherent technological advantages and all the rest, uh, are going to have it uh, consolidate its, uh, its market share and, and, and its leadership. Now, what's interesting to me about that call, well, first of all, about what Musk said, it's your typical. It's your, just your typical CEO speak, right? Telling employees just focus on what you can control. Do you know? Do what's right for the business, and and the stock price will take care of itself. But it comes two months after Musk said he expects Tesla at some point to exceed the valuation of Apple and Aramco combined, which means four trillion dollars. Uh, you're under four hundred billion right now, three fifty ish or so. The, at Tesla is now less than one percent of the S and P. It's fallen toward the the twentieth. Uh, spot. So in other words, um, it's the correct message, but the craziness also happened on the upside. And we should remember, Musk also over the years has said he's going to essentially go after the shorts and they're going to have a problem. But he's also at times said the stock price is too high. 
So what are we listening to? What's well, the message? It's interesting. It's a reaction you, to the last quote. That's all it is. It's, it's interesting that, that you talk about the message, but what about the messenger? And yes, it's typical CEO speak, and you've heard a lot of other CEOs say the same thing when their stocks have fallen. But some would argue that the messenger is as responsible for a big portion of the stock drop as, as anybody is. So I wonder what the employees who are not supposed to be bothered by the stock market craziness apps actually think. Well, the flip side of that is you could say the messenger has been responsible for the gangbusters gains we saw through the pandemic, for example. And even before that, even before Tesla, which now, mind you, is sitting on something like $20 billion cash pile, even before it became profitable, even when it was more speculative that so many names, particularly on the resale side, piled in because of Elon Musk. So I think it's probably one of those swords that cuts both ways. we don't, I don't know that we're talking about it enough. The fact that oil has come off. Yeah. And yes, it's still trading at elevated levels. But whether there is a correlation between not just Tesla, but also the other EV names, and kind of going back to Jonas's notes, um, in terms of demand and this idea that EV supply is now exceeding EV demand. Because when you do see energy prices and gasoline prices start to come off a little bit more again, and when you see things like electricity outages and power outages right. in the midst of you know, brutal winter storms like we've seen in the past week. I would imagine that it too is going to dent EV demand and what consumers are willing to pay for those types of vehicles. There's no doubt that's true. Uh, on the other hand, the entire story, the, the halo effect over Tesla for so long was uh, its demand is insatiable at these levels. And therefore, all we have to do is cr- get supply up to where it, it, can, it can somehow eat into the uh, inherent demand out there. That is true, though. Uh, they're talking about weekly deliveries in China, half of what was expected, like 8,000 vehicles versus 15,000 or something like that. That's in Jonas's notes. So clearly there's a hiccup just going on because of what's happening in China. It's not the, uh, not the whole story. The, the final point on, on, on the Morgan Stanley note, on Adam Jonas's note is, what he does to take the price target down for the non-auto parts of Tesla. Because to me, that was always the most contentious thing. This pie-in-the-sky idea that it was going to be valued as a network software company, as a mobility company, as a separate product that you were going to value separately. If you look at what he did to the, uh, to the valuation uh, implicitly, is he basically cut by half the non-auto uh, components of the price target. So he said, actually, the market's not going to pay up for this mobility product uh, as a standalone, not going to capitalize it at as high a level. And similarly with this network communications thing. So I feel like you were stretching to get a price target high enough to stay really bullish at one point. And now it's like, well, the car company is worth 140 is what he's saying. Well, I mean, it was 80 times forward at its peak. Okay, now it's closer to 18 times. Right. The question ultimately is going to be, and the market is going to figure this out at some point, what is the appropriate valuation for where we are? They're still earnings earning, haven't come down. They're still earning have, have they're really like not five dollars, right? They got five dollars in earnings. Um, the bulls will point to that and say there is evidence that the fundamental story is intact. Yeah. Uh, relative to what some of the other EV players are doing. It's all a matter of what was 80 times forward appropriate for the, for the time, given yeah. what the circumstances were. What is it? next year and in the following years. I mean, it's such a key point, the idea of cutting targets on the tech-related portion of the supply chain, because this is what we're seeing. It's not just, and this is, to your point, in some ways this is kind of like, I don't want to call it a bull case, but it's the not just Tesla case, which is that if you look at the NASDAQ, if you look at other 
tech-focused areas of the market and speculative areas of the market, I mean, all those valuations are coming off. And to your point, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, Tesla's still much more highly valued, even at 19 or 18 times forward earnings, than a Ford or a Toyota, which are at, what, six and a half, eight and a half times forward earnings. So it goes back to the tech company valuation or automaker valuation. And by the way, if it is a tech company valuation, what's happening to tech more broadly right now in general? Maybe a little slice of both. It's going to figure out to get a piece of a tech valuation and a piece of a traditional automaker. And oh, by the way, this is a company, this is a man, Musk, who has basically said, oh, we might be doing a stock buyback. What's going to happen to that now, looking to next year? Well, too? sure, but I mean, to me, that's like that's one more thing. look over in this direction. I mean, yeah, every right. company's doing a stock saying, buyback. Try, every try, stock's down. Right, trying anything to, pro- but, to but get maybe the stock not. Up. That's also something that may not happen. So right. it's just one more negative pressure on the stock. There's a lot of them. Sure. Uh, speaking of, let's turn to the broader markets now. Only two trading days left for the year. Nasdaq coming off a two and a half year low at yesterday's close. S and P touching its lowest level. Since November, um, we're trying to, you know, obviously keeping into perspective, as Morgan said at the very top, the, the Nasdaq and what's happened with tech. You got the China uh, reopening and now the, the CDC with the new testing of flights arriving from China to get into the country starting on on uh, January 5th. The flights in Italy, the UK and France saying they're not going to institute, uh, at least right now, a COVID tests. Uh, so it's all something for the market to keep a, a close eye on because all the stories that we just talked with Apple yeah. or Tesla, and now it's all related one way or the other to China. And I would say it didn't help yesterday in the afternoon. I mean, there's definitely been this feeling of let's just continue to trim back on risk. If you look at cyclical stocks underperforming in this latest bout, you look at uh, you know more volatile or aggressive stocks, they've been underperforming. Obviously, Nasdaq making a new relative low versus the broader S&P 500. So those trends are, ha- have been pretty well in place. It didn't seem to me, though, that the market was saying, oh, no, we fear lockdowns, we fear massive economic disruptions, because bonds did not rally yesterday. In fact, the yields were up. In fact, the 30-year was pushing 4%. Yields are in a little bit today, and maybe you can't always script exactly what the multi-asset response is going to be. But I still think the market is willing to look through something like this if it doesn't seem like that last little blow that's going to really knock us into a hard landing. Oh, it's, it's interesting, though. I mean, we have to see, right? John Kilduff was on in the 10 o'clock yeah. hour talking about the impact of China reopening and the uncertainty around what that reopening is now looking like and how that's emerging and what that's going to mean for economic growth in China next year on the crude markets. And you do see crude under pressure yeah. again today. And I realize it's thin trading. It's thin trading across the board. Um, but it does raise those questions. Italy is one to watch. I think there's a reason that Wall Street was very focused on Italy and the fact that you had two flights coming in where something like half the passengers between those two flights tested positive at, coming from China uh, with COVID. Now, the, the fact that it's no, there's no new variants in those tests, I think putting some some ease uh, into, into folks' minds. But the thing to remember is Italy was ground zero for Europe during the during the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 because you do have so many Chinese workers that go to northern Italy and work in the factories there. Um, so it's it's definitely a country to watch in terms of some of those flows of people and what that looks like as China reopens and as we do have these question marks about uh, what that means for economic growth and pandemic, the yeah. future trajectory of pandemic uh, evolution more broadly. Well, part of the bull case is built on, in terms of global growth, is China normalizing right after after the shutdowns. To, to your point, I asked Dr. Scott Gottlieb about that very issue uh, yesterday during overtime. China is just trying to get back to some semblance of normal. Is there a chance that they would go back again? Here's what he said. 
I don't know how they go backwards right now. They don't seem to be reimposing the restrictions, even as they're dealing with an overwhelming amount of infection. If you read some of the reports coming out of the South China Morning Post, which has good reporting on the ground, it looks like their health care system is overwhelmed right now, and they seem to be bearing it. They don't seem to really have a plan for how to deal with it. So I don't know what their trigger point would be to reimpose certain kinds of measures to slow the spread while they while their health care system catches up. You would have you would have presumed that they would have done that already if they were going to do it. So I wouldn't expect it at this point. Interesting thought, obviously, from Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Yeah. Market's going to be paying close attention in the weeks ahead to see what happens. And it's hard to, you know, game out exactly how it plays. Think about when Omicron showed up uh, in Black Friday of, uh, of last year. Uh, people assumed, I think, that it was going to be another kind of lockdown episode. The Fed, in my opinion, actually continued to go slower toward normalizing because they didn't know what was going to happen then. So mm-hmm. it was almost an easy money fix. The market did not actually have a sustainable sell-off for another month and a half. Um, so I don't know if we're going to get any of that offset this time, right? The Fed's not going to go easier just because, you know, China has some backsliding and it's reopening if it does. It's going to be one to watch. So also probably worth watching your drug maker and vaccine names like Pfizer, like Moderna, because yes, those are not, you have you don't have the mRNA technology in China, but you do have those reports surfacing that Chinese uh, can travel to places like Hong Kong now to get some of those vaccines and some of those treatments. Mm-hmm. So I think probably also something to watch as that develops. Well, still to come, it has been a rough few days for Southwest, but other airlines like United and American are also down double digits since the start of the month. So we're going to take a closer look at the group and another look at futures right now uh, as we do have yet again a pre-market with the major averages poised to open higher. We're going to have to see how that all shakes out when we get the opening bell in a little less than 20 minutes. We've got more Squawk in the Street straight ahead. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. All right, Southwest Airlines fractionally higher this morning after falling 11% in just the past two days. The major airline canceling more than 14,000 flights since Friday. Joining us now to discuss, Raymond Javes analyst, Savi Seitz. Savi, welcome. It's nice to talk to you uh, today. What, what's the longer-lasting damage here for investors, if, if any? 
it would be interesting to see what Southwest does in, in terms of uh, restoring their, you know, network or, or making changes to the network to make sure that, um, you know, in the future, if in irregular operations, they'll be able to recover better than they have here today. To be fair, this was a really tough storm for everybody when it kind of rolls through, you know, many of your geographies. Um, that's a tough kind of setup. And, and then, you know, clearly they'll need to address their uh, crew, crew handling system, which seems to be the system that really um, took the brunt and, and caused uh, some of the chaos that we're seeing uh, today. That may be fair, but, you know, some would suggest that the writing was on the wall here for a, a while, that their systems needed to be uh, upgraded for some time, and the airline knew that. It's just that they diverted their funds elsewhere. And when you look at a story like this, it's you can say, okay, well, passengers and those flying and the feds, they're all angry and for good and, and obvious reason. But at some point, if, if management, uh, mismanagement turns out to be a, a greater part of this story, would the impact to the stock over the longer period be, be bigger? At the end of the day, people fly for price and convenience, and that's not going to change regardless of what happens in this situation. In terms of the you know technology, yes, Southwest is kind of widely known in the industry that they're behind, but it's not because they haven't been making investments. I mean, they've been investing kind of 500 million to kind of billion dollars a year um, in kind of this non-aircraft type uh, of investments that they've been making. They've just had a lot of wood to chop, and they have to kind of pick uh, the battles on you know which fronts that they move forward. Um, and with airline systems, you know, it's it's really tough. It's it's legacy systems, and if you make a change in one place, you could break something in the other place. So you do move a little bit slower than you might in other industries, or for airlines that are kind of newly started up and and have a kind of a fresh uh, tech stack to work with. Um, so I, I'm not sure that there will be clearly a, a a review of you know what happened here and where are the failures and 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 maybe who who might be to blame. But I'm not really sure that there is kind of a, a kind of a smoke, smoking gun here in terms of somebody who really dropped the ball. Um, it's a matter of kind of doing more of what they're doing and, and maybe kind of is refocusing where the investments are going. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Bob Jordan, the CEO, has been pretty vocal about the fact that they need to continue making more tech investments and that they've essentially expanded faster than their technology uh, ha has uh, in recent months. You have a buy rating on the stock. Do you stick with that here? And just as importantly, do you expect that there's going to be an impact to earnings uh, in the next quarterly report? Yes, there'll clearly be a, a big earnings hit in the fourth quarter here. And we've kind of quantified that. Um, I think they'll still kind of eke out a, a small profit here. Um, and, and in one queue, unlike for the other airlines that, you know, this event probably is more of a fourth quarter event. Southwest will probably see some book away as a result of, of this incident. We suspect as you head into the second quarter, um, some of that kind of wears down. You might see Southwest doing some fair sales to kind of uh, to bring some goodwill back. So we do think that the implications of this event do last at least into kind of the first quarter. So there is some earnings risk there. Uh, right now, our kind of analysis is there's no kind of structural uh, issue with Southwest that needs drastic uh, rethinking, and therefore we're kind of sticking to our strong buy rating. But we are monitoring this very closely to see, you know, what they come out with as as to kind of the reasons uh, for for this event. 
Savi, this just seems like the kind of thing the market would be willing to try and look through uh, and essentially just sort of write off as a, you know, a, a kind of a crisis type episode if there were confidence that next year more broadly was going to see decent end demand. In other words, if there weren't these overhang, uh, overhanging concerns about you know, consumer fatigue and the, the overall travel picture for next year. So how does that play into the outlook for the stocks? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think you make a very good point. And uh, the interesting thing is uh, there is a sense that the consumer probably has to slow down here, um, but but we're not seeing any indications of that so far. And, and the important thing here is, and, and I think what this episode highlights is the airlines are having a really hard time kind of adding back a lot more capacity. They, they would like to add a lot more than they can and for various issues, um, including just uh, Airbus and Boeing not being able to deliver aircraft. And so... Um, I, I think as much as we're focused and investors are focused on the demand side of the picture, I think what they're not really appreciating is that the supply side of the picture might result in fares remaining elevated, even if demand slows down a little bit. There's still a lot of catch up to do here um, uh, in some areas like large corporate demand. So I, I think the results will uh, will be maybe pleasantly surprising, but it definitely is an overhang for these stocks and, and, and a reason that you know, with this event and, and no kind of positive catalyst for a, a stronger holiday season than people thought, I think the stocks are kind of languishing a little bit. All right. We'll leave it there. Savi, thank you so much. It's Savi Saif joining us this morning. All right. Well, with just about eight minutes until the opening bell, take a look at futures. We are poised to open higher. The S&P uh, up 30 points. The Dow poised to open up 181. And the Nasdaq poised to open up 136 points. Keep in mind, though, this is after another down day yesterday with the Nasdaq at a nearly two and a half year low and the S&P back to its lowest level since early November. We got more Squawk in the Street when we return. Every day. Thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Well, check out the top laggards on the S&P, which is poised to end the year down about 20%. Generac is at the top of the list, down 72%, despite uh, the rally it's had the last couple of days. It also had a huge run-up during the pandemic. Match Group down 70%, Align down 70%. Uh, and Tesla, while not in the top five right now, has been hovering between the number five and number six place. We're back after this with the opening bell just a few minutes away. Welcome back. Well, Apple trying to rally this morning up 1.5% pre-market after closing yesterday at a 1.5-year low. Stock is down around 28% in 2022. And, of course, yesterday meaningfully falling below Mike and closing below that 130 key technical level that at least some strategists were calling out and watching pretty closely. Yeah, it's, it's getting a little bit oversold. Not really profoundly, though, not to the point where you'd say, oh, it's really washed out. 120 is another level that, if you look back a few years, seemed to have some relevance, too. Um, what's interesting to me is it's really just in the last couple of months acting more like how all of mega cap growth has acted. Even right now with this decline it's had recently, it's outperforming the Nasdaq 100 year to date by five or six percentage points. Same thing with the broader kind of mega cap growth ETF. So it's sort of resisted the pull for, for a long period of time. And now I just think that people are hacking away at the iPhone demand. 
uh, estimates, and it seems like there's going to be a little more of a bump uh, toward what is already anticipated to be basically a flat earnings performance uh, year to, uh, you know, for the fiscal year uh, that we're in right now, ends in September. So, I, you know, it sort of, to me, also reiterates my, my case for a long time, which is that Apple really isn't a bellwether for the broader market in the sense that it anticipates what the market's going to do or it reflects the broader macro concerns. It kind of operates on its own kind of pendulum. Uh, it goes in these long streaks, estimates go up, it doesn't really uh, kind of fall victim to the macro very often. So I do think it seems like it's at the end of the year and it just can only kind of uh, resist gravity for, for so long in a market that wanted to sell everything that was, you know, big and on the NASDAQ. Yeah, reflective of what's happened in the NASDAQ too in December, down 10.7%. It's going to be the worst December on record, according to Bespoke, if that holds. Worse than the December two, uh, 2002. granting wishes to children with critical illnesses. And you can see there's a lot of green on the board right now. Um, you've got all the major averages trading higher as the pre-markets had signaled. Uh, and really just energy, guys, uh, the only S&P sector right now that is in the red. And it is some of those tech names that are making a, a big bounce as we do see the 10-year yield under a little bit of pressure this morning, though. We should keep in mind, Mike, and I know we talk about it a lot, it's been yeah. tight a tightish trading range across many different markets for many days now. It has. Uh, market has been mostly just kind of sticky in this area. Um, one thing to watch for, this is something that emerges in January and sometimes people try to front run it into January, is just the worst laggards of a year getting a bounce. Um, you know, typically just you have some selling pressure that manifests at the end of the year, lets up, and you get some relief. So if you look at the the uh, S&P 500 leaders uh, on the day, their year-to-date uh, declines are pretty significant, right? So Tesla's up there, monolithic power down 29%, but NVIDIA, Netflix, Match Group are all among the day's leaders. So there is always this kind of reflex trade, go for the stuff that was hit the hardest in the prior year and see if it just gets a little bit of a trade higher in January. We're still thinking about uh, you know, how we finish over these couple of days and, and what it means for the sure. new year. Piper Sandler has a, a note today that says, among other things, if the market fails to rally during this time, it has been a precursor yeah. for lower prices. I mean, you don't want to fit in, finish really with a big whimper. The only real relevance of the Santa Claus rally period that we talk so much about is, is it up or down? What might it suggest for the following year? Now, the sample sizes on these things are small. We're talking about, you know, 50, 60 instances, 50 or 60 years. It is worth pointing out that the close of the S&P 500, the day before that test period, uh, began was 38.22. So we're right there. I mean, you're kind of just a little bit of a throw from it at this point. Uh, so yeah, maybe it does matter, and especially if it's negative. If it's positive, you know, it, it, it's usually just sort of the absence of, uh, of, a, of a headwind as opposed to something uh, that means we go higher. But I do think it's, it's worth keeping an eye on. Sabuk also had uh, a data point that was yesterday, uh, we had two 1% daily declines in the final six trading days of the year. Rare to happen. Um, and again, you go back to those similar years, right? 2018 was one of them. I think 2002. And they've happened 
you know, in a, in a, at the end of a, of a very weak period. It didn't kick off a weak period. So, you know, 2003, the market took off in March of, of 2003. So it was two or three months after that December of 2002 washout. So just something to keep in mind. We, again, we talk a lot about it uh, because there's not a lot else driving the market at this moment. Well, sentiment is so bad. Yeah. They, they have another stat today, and this is eye-popping too. This year is going to be the first in the history of Bespoke's individual bullish sentiment, sort of individual investor survey, that bullish sentiment was below its historical average every single week of the year. It just tells you how pathetic this year has been for investors and how miserable people have felt from almost the beginning of the year, right? When the Fed got on this new path, yeah. uh, it's been a rough road, even though you've had some you know, pretty sizable bear market rallies yep. within this period of time. Mm-hmm. It has done little to reverse what has been really negative investor it's, it's, sentiment. We did, and just, we did come into the year very frothed up, right? At a high. And I think there's some weirdness going on because this was a rare year where the peak was literally the first trading day of the year. So there have been many times, I'm sure, when the market was down 20% off its high 12 months after the peak, as we are right now. It just didn't happen to be on January 3rd. So all of a sudden, all the calendar year stuff looks like, wow, we've never been this, this negative. And it's because of the, the, uh, the, the way the calendar has, has happened to fall this year. Yeah, it's, yeah and it's interesting, too, because we did see the rollover happen, really start to happen last fall on the NASDAQ first. That's right. Right. November, and so yeah. some of the ugliest charts in terms of some of the some of the tech names, particularly some or some of the SPAC names, some of the more speculative tech names, um, really go back a year, even a year plus uh, in terms of the beginning of that. That's so right. Nasdaq was kind of first to roll over. Then the S&P, to your point, at the beginning of this year. And the Dow has been relative to those other two averages, the outperformer this year, in part because it does not have as much tech within that index. It is more focused on cyclicals and, and other areas. And staples, other defensive um, areas of the economy that have not been hit quite so hard. Your point raises an interesting question. Is first in the one that's going to be first out and have a surprise rebound in in many eyes? Some are suggesting that value is just is is, uh, replacing growth on a longer period of time. You know, it is a tough call. I, I think you could make the case that the, the, the gut checking growth has gone far enough to really sort of sweep away the, the, the most extreme uh, of the valuation excesses and, and the speculative uh, excesses. But historically, the thing that led the last bull market is not the thing that restarts the new one, right? So this, that's why the largest growth stocks you know, might be in the penalty box for a long period of time. Any long-term chart of growth versus value looks like value just starting to barely turn higher uh, after, you know, decade of, uh, of underperformance. We're trying to get a little bit of a comeback this morning in some of these names. Tesla's yeah. up, up about five and a third percent. Recapping that news we did at the top of the program, uh, Elon Musk telling employees not to be bothered by the stock market craziness. You had Adam Jonas out defending it today, and maybe that is helping the shares out a, a little bit today, arguing that even though he cuts the price target, the re-rating is an opportunity for investors as well. Maybe they're taking advantage of that this morning just a little bit. Uh, I saw a stat, one of the reports that I was reading, let me pull it up here, um, that Tesla this year has seen, this is according to Vanda Research, that individual investors have been doubling down, purchasing a net $16 billion of Tesla stock this year, uh, meaning that it is now surpassing and dethroning Apple as the most purchased stock by individuals, which kind of gets to why, in part, we talk about these two names as often as we do. Um, you know, and Tesla, it, it is a fascinating 
battle, the, the attachment that people have to the stock, not just because, oh, it made me rich on paper for you know, a couple of years, but just it, it's, uh, it's kind of a movement. They don't tolerate a lot of negative, uh, negative uh, you know, details about what's going on uh, with Tesla. And, you know, we'll see. Again, it became a big part of the S&P for a brief period of time. You had to have managers who were like, oh, if I'm going to be, you know, outperforming my benchmark, I need some consumer discretionary. How could I not have exposure to Tesla? That's gone. I think that kind mm -hmm. of effect among active managers uh, has gone away. But, uh, yeah, retail still still plays the game. Another, another hard hit part of the market that is bouncing higher today are the streamers, are the media companies. You see it in consumer services more broadly, which is up more than 1% right now. Paramount, Netflix, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Disney are leading the charge within that sector. Um, and as I mentioned, it, it speaks to they've had a rough year. They had a rough December. Um, and there are questions about what these streamers and the strength of these streamers, what that's going to look like next year. Consolidation, a move towards profitability. Can that happen? What does that look like? Uh, and, of course, in the midst of what is still an inflationary environment as consumers and a rough macro environment as consumers are buying, spending more on things like, I don't know, eggs, yeah, which we can exactly. get into, too. <laughs> that's right. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, again, I see it mostly as a, as a, as a, you know, buy some of the laggards trade uh, at this point. They've, they've obviously been, uh, you know, pretty uh, beaten up. And, uh, and you know, we, the last few days, you can't really see it in the, in the intraday action. But clearly, people just dumping losers either for cosmetic purposes or tax purposes has been part of the story. I'm thinking of Disney, too, uh, yeah. when Morgan was, was talking about what's been taking place with the streamers. One of the worst Dow performers on the year, down 44% year to date. Yeah. We'll have to see if, you know, like a laggard like that draws new interest in the new year. Although if you're worried about where the consumer is heading and where the strength of the economy is going, uh, maybe it's going to be a little bit of a tough road that Mr. Iger, uh, part two, I think it's, is it just part two? It's part two. Three? Yeah. Two. He threatened to leave a few times <laughs> yeah. and then didn't, but no, yeah, right. this Ofic is part it's two. It's the official part yeah. two. Oh, we'll see what the sequel We'll go with the sequel. We'll see. Um, yeah. We'll see what happens with that one because it's a close. It's a widely followed and a widely held name. Yeah. It is. Um, as I mentioned, eggs. I do want to mention because we. It's it's quiet. Pure. You know, quiet time for earnings. But we did get earnings after the bell yesterday. That was Calmain. Not the biggest of companies. It's got a market cap of only, I think, about two or three billion dollars, uh, and certainly under pressure this morning after missing some estimates. But it did report record sales. You got this avian flu outbreak that continues to limit the supply of eggs and driving prices higher. Uh, and what's so fascinating about this is that your more standard carton of eggs is uh, is now priced lower than the specialty your brown eggs and some of the other cage-free, et cetera, you're seeing this, this weird uh, divergence happen in the market. But it speaks to Price some higher. of these, yes. Generic eggs, yeah. Yes, no, yeah, no, yes, they're higher. Um, but it speaks <laughs> to excellent, yes. <laughs> excellent contents there. Um, but it speaks, to, it speaks to some of these areas uh, of the economy where inflation continues to be stickier. I mean, we talk about the shift from goods to services. But food inflation, which the Fed strips out yeah. uh, as it looks at, it, at inflation, is very real for many people. Uh, and certainly as that continues to persist, is going to affect the other places that consumers put their money to work in 2023. For sure. And um, I mean, this is always a fun stock to watch just because it really is boom bust. I mean, you know, you can't really uh, the product is perishable. <laughs> <laughs> the producers, you know, uh, they can die unexpectedly. And so it does have this really jagged 
movement out there. And, uh, and it's, it's product by product, though. I would say food inflation was absolutely a big part of this story this year. And now I think it's sort of so it's present in places and coming off in others. And it's all about supply chain and the fact that you can't have there's not a lot of excess capacity in any of these areas uh, that they could you know, take advantage of uh, to kind of build storage and things like that. Yeah. I uh, also want to point to what has been an outperformer this year, and that is the defense sector, the aerospace and defense sector. Higher again this morning. Lockheed Martin uh, is up about half a percent this morning as well, uh, in part because it has filed a protest against the Army's decision to award Textron a big helicopter contract, what's called the Flora contract, uh, to build a new fleet of helicopters to replace the Blackhawks. It's estimated to be worth uh, $80 billion, upwards of $80 billion, uh, this program over its lifetime. This was widely expected that the Lockheed Boeing team um, would file a protest with the GAO. There's now 100 days for uh, that entity to decide whether to move forward with the protest or whether to bat it down. Um, Textron likely to halt work on this project in the meantime. Um, but as you can see, all those names are trading higher, whether it's because of this or maybe in spite of this. Um, the military continues to modernize. We know that there's increasing demand not only here in the U.S., but abroad. And even though it takes a long time for all of that demand to actually translate to sales and growth on the top line for these companies, at some point it's coming. It's starting to come. The fact that Flora finally got awarded speaks to that. Been a rare place to hide, right? This year, Lockheed, yes. Raytheon, those stocks to your point. Lockheed's up 37% uh, over a 12-month period. Raytheon is up this year. I mean, there haven't been that many places to no. hide. It, it's one of the, been the most obvious and some of the staples, groups, right. utilities, healthcare have outperformed the S&P 500 by the widest margin in decades. Yeah. Um, they still close negative. They will, they will still go out negative for, for the year, not defense. It's interesting. It's one of the, I mean, people have point, been pointing to industrials in general as a big mm -hmm. outperformer, and maybe that's a great macro signal. I mean, defense and aerospace has a lot to do with that. It's not really a, a macro signal. Although, if you look at things like machinery, Capital goods in general have been very, very strong. had an incredible quarter, yeah. by the way, right exactly. behind Boeing in terms well. of a big rally. Right. Yes. All right. Well, let's get to Bob Pisani for more on what's moving this Thursday morning. Hi, Bob. Good morning, Morgan. Hello, everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, we are uh, all 11 sectors are on the upside, but let's not kid ourselves. The momentum has been terrible, particularly growth. As Mike mentioned earlier, this year and this month has been the triumph of value over growth. In terms of sectors that have momentum, weak momentum uh, in the last few weeks, well, guess what? It's all growth. Arc Innovation has been terrible uh, this month overall. It's down about 20 percent for the month. Retail has been terrible. Uh, tech's been awful. Communication services generally. The trend has been down the last several weeks. Uh, and what's held up comparatively better, a relative outperformance? It's all the value stuff that's done better. So utilities, for example, uh, are flat uh, this month. Uh, energy is down eh, maybe one or two percent. Consumer staples are also holding up. It's down only a couple percent. Again, this is relative outperformance. Uh, so here is what you broad group defensive. You can call them semi value stocks as well. But that's what's going on here uh, in terms of the leadership board. You know, we had four stocks that were essentially at 
52-week lows or even more in the last few days, and all four of them, this is the leadership board on the upside in the S&P 500, Tesla, Apple, PayPal. Even Ford was at a new low just a few days ago, and you see they're all bouncing here. That's the leadership board for the S&P. So people are picking at these new lows uh, today, but there's no sense of any strong reversal uh, in, the, in the downward trend. Uh, we're going to have some changes in the S&P in the beginning of the year. Remember, GE, big spinoff of the year, the big spinoff of the year, GE spinning off into uh, three uh, sectors, uh, three groups here. And GE Healthcare is going to go into the S&P 500 uh, on January 4th. Uh, and, of course, GE will continue to stay. What's the remaining parts of it will continue to stay in the S&P as well. Uh, coming out, replacing uh, the uh, S&P component is uh, Vernado. Vernado is going into uh, the S&P uh, mid-cap. That'll be on January 5th, the following day. And we don't have to tell everybody. We've talked about it every day how difficult REITs have been, but particularly the office REITs as the work from home continues here. Uh, Vornado, uh, any of the big names, Brandywine, SL Green, these are, all, these are the, sort of the big three office REITs, all have had terrible years, uh, the REITs in general, but a particular what's going on, the office REITs. Uh, finally, this is the time of year this week when all the strategists come out. There's about two dozen of them that come out with their 2023 uh, year-end estimates. Uh, despite the, the futility of trying to guess where stocks prices are going to be a year from now, uh, hope continues that somebody's going to get it right. Uh, the current estimate of 22 strategies surveyed by uh, Bloomberg was 4,078. That's up about 7% for the year. Strategists like analysts tend to be fairly bullish, but there's an unusual wide distinction dispersion of opinions this year, really wide. So the high estimate is 47.50. This is for the S&P this time next year. That's Fundstrat. Uh, so that would be uh, up about 25% or so. Uh, the low estimate is 3,400. That'd be down 10%. Up 25, down 10. That's a very wide dispersion of opinions. Uh, and it's not because people uh, are stupid. It's because there's, uh, it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen in 2023. Just look at the issues the people have to deal with. We've got the continuing effects of COVID, particularly China, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and the Fed higher for longer, what kind of recession we're going to have. Any one of these, any one of these would create a very wide range of economic outcomes, potentially. You put them all three together, it's little wonder the strategists are having a hard time figuring out what's going on and such a wide diversion of opinions. Finally, we, we have to remind everyone about these economic forecasts. They have a very poor track record, and it doesn't matter who you are. Analysts, strategists, economists, the Federal Reserve itself has a very poor record of predicting the economy, predicting stock prices. They have little predictive value. And the problem, of course, here, Morgan, is a lot of people, there's a lot of biases that infect people's opinions. And secondly, the future is really hard to figure out. There's a lot of variables. So remember that one year from now, we all may want to believe we have more control over our own personal lives than we do, but we don't have much control or influence on figuring out what stock prices are going to be one year from now. Morgan? Such an important public service announcement. Thank you for making okay. it. Bob Pisani. Mm. Before we head to break, it is time for the bond report. Let's take a look at how treasuries are faring this morning. We've got yields currently largely under a little bit of pressure right now. The 10-year, 3.856%. The two-year is uh, in the green. Everything else is a little bit lower. We'll be right back. Check out the chip stocks today. What was down earlier in the week is getting a bit of a bounce today, including AMD up two and three quarters percent. There's Taiwan Semi, two and a half percent. Micron. NVIDIA was a big loser earlier in the week. It's up more than three percent right now. And there's Intel on our list as well, up about two percent. We're back in two minutes. 
some even weaker than expected numbers in the housing market to end this year. And what that says about next year, our Diana Olick has that for us this morning. Diana? Well, Scott, new numbers out this week don't exactly bode well for the winter market as a housing recession appears to be digging in even deeper. Let's start with mortgage rates, which had been easing up recently off the highs at the end of October when the 30-year fix flew well over 7%. Just two weeks ago, it was all the way down to 6.13%, which was the lowest since early September. Then it started climbing again and just really shot up in the last week, now 6.5%. That won't help going forward. And even the drop in November apparently didn't help sales. Pending sales, which are signed contract, dropped a wider-than-expected 4% month-to-month and were down nearly 38% year-over-year to the lowest reading since the realtors even started tracking this survey in 2001, with the exception, of course, of one month at the start of the pandemic. Now, buyers were unmoved by lower rates in November, and the drop in home prices didn't seem to help them either. Prices nationally in October fell for the fourth straight month. Prices were still just over 9% higher than they were in October of last year, but that annual gain has been shrinking very quickly and is now actually half of what it was last June. It is likely to be a very slow January in the market, especially given that inventory is still historically low and potential sellers seem to be unwilling to list right now, not to mention that the home builders just continue to pull back on new construction. Scott. All right, Diana, thank you. That's Diana Olick uh, rounding out this hour. A reminder, too, coming up on the Halftime Report, want to let you all know that we do have one of America's top-ranked financial advisors with us today, Richard Saperstein, giving his top plays for 2023. And Al Michaels is with us, famed announcer, of course. Investor, too. He's into the stock market big time. He's calling the game tonight. Uh, Amazon Prime, got the Cowboys and the Titans, of course, the inaugural season there. We're always excited when we have Al with us so we can talk about football and he likes to talk stocks, which we do, too. And we'll talk to you, too. Yes, your midday I'll, be, I'll be there. Um, See what I'm happens happy to talk football as well, if you care to. <laughs> right. But we can, feel, uh, we can figure that out. I All feel right. left out of this party. I'll just, I'll just watch from here on the other side of the set. Yeah. I'll, see you, I'll see you back here tomorrow morning. <laughs> yes, for sure. All right. All right. We've got all the major averages are higher right now. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.